beaming from Pacific Junction Hotel to Earth. Girth. We are rolling. So thank you, Chris Blackwood, uh, for visiting my summer lair. And uh, let's start with the obvious question. What is it that you do? Because you have a fancy pants title. I saw the business card on your Instagram. I do. There's a lot of words in my title. I'm a senior lead user experience designer um, in the human interfaces group at NASA's JPL. That's a long title for LinkedIn. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it really is. So basically what I do is I make software to support JPL's space missions. I make space software. Yeah, (laughs) that's really cool, right? And uh, you mentioned the mission, like the to support the software, like the software supporting the mission. So, what exactly is the mission? Because you launched, you guys have launched some really cool projects. Yeah. So, um, I work on two different projects, and the probably the most interesting one is the Deep Space Network. So that is this kind of system of antennas that are in three sites around the world, and they are the big antenna dishes that we use to talk to all of the spacecraft that uh, we use, as well as a lot of European space agency spacecraft and a couple of Indian ones and um, lots of the spacecraft actually that are further away from from Earth than the moon go through the deep space network. When people find out what you do or where you work, I guess they ask you about UFOs and aliens and kind of that kind of stuff. Are there like, is there life out there? What kind of what kind of reactions do you get? So I don't get a lot of tin hat reactions, if that's what you're asking, Mm, but uh, I do get asked a lot to to share information about our latest missions, and sometimes I can and sometimes I can't. And I also get asked a lot about what's the latest science that's come back. People seem to be really engaged with the science that NASA is bringing. Like, where is that curiosity coming from? Like, why do you feel that people are kind of engaged with the science and want to know more? And, like, uh, they they take this opportunity to talk to somebody and, like, give us some dirt. Like, we want to find out what's happening. Well, that's natural human curiosity, right? We, we all love to learn. And um, there are a few things cooler than what's off this planet. I mean, you can go and look with your own eyes what's on the planet. But once you start getting out of the atmosphere, you can't. And so... Having that proxy, I think, is really a treat for people. I know it's a treat for me. Is that what led you to the JPL, like that curiosity and just kind of wanting to explore? Absolutely. I have wanted to, well, you know, when I was a kid, I wanted to be an astronaut. And uh, that wasn't happening. (laughs) So the opportunity to work even space adjacent was just a whole treat for me. Uh, so how do you end up getting to the JPL? So then you, you realize na- the astronaut thing is not going to work out. So how to then, like, what's the ton- alternative route that you take to get into the JPL? 20 years of blood, sweat, and tears. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I did uh, user experience for e-commerce up in Silicon Valley for a long, long time. And actually, every year I would apply to NASA Ames up there. Um, and they just weren't interested in me, I guess. Uh, I never even got a call. Oh, but that's um, cold. <laughs> yeah. That's colder than space. <laughs> that's right. That's yeah. the coldest thing. <laughs> but I'm a tardigrade, which is a water bear, and they can live in space. And that's I just kept trying and kept trying, and eventually JPL answered the call. Nice. And you've, you've hashtagged it. What is it? The best job ever. Heck yeah. Yeah. What makes it the best job ever? So, first of all, it's the that I'm working for space, right? You can't beat that. The why I do what I do is I'm saving all of mankind, <laughs> right? In my tiny little way, I'm a little cog 
who's helping to preserve life on the planet and find new places for us to live and understand the origins of the solar system. You do have the most interesting LinkedIn profile. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and then it's the people I work with. Um, at JPL and even, you know, at other NASA centers, but I'm partial to JPL, um, I work with the most brilliant, kind, patient, um, clever people you could imagine. And it's just really inspiring every single day to walk in and say happy Monday and have people sometimes even say it back to me. Okay. Nobody has a case of the Mondays. Well, I, I never do. That's for sure. Okay. Fair enough. Hashtag best job ever. That's right. But you also, like, you have a background as, like, a, as a nerd, I guess. Is that the flight with geek? Which word would you want to use? You like some of the science fiction Doctor Who and things like that. Not just some. I'm an indiscriminate geek. Okay, there um, you go. And a total dork. Uh, I love it all. I grew up with, uh, my mother is probably the biggest Star Trek fan you've ever seen. And um, so Captain I Kirk, next gen, where does she fall on the spectrum? You know, it started out with Captain Kirk, but I think she's got a real soft spot for next generation. Captain Picard, can't go wrong. They had those great stories and really amazing character development. It was really good writing, and mm -hmm. it was in the 80s. What the heck? <laughs> yes. So, <laughs> um, but it's all over the place. You know, I used to watch Doctor Who with my dad, and... And uh, now I'm really digging the expanse. And, um, of course, the new Star Wars stuff is such an improvement over movies one, two, and three that it's really nice to have really good science fiction just about everywhere now. Doesn't sometimes the, the JPL kind of help or kind of contribute or something like you have TV shows and stuff come visit the, I guess, the lab or the... Yeah, as a matter of fact, um, people from the lab often consult on science fiction shows or movies. I know that The Martian obviously consulted with us a ton. The Matt Damon movie? Uh-huh, yeah. yeah. And Babylon 5, which is an old science fiction show that's sadly gone now. Uh, we had people consulting on that, as well as there's a recent movie that kind of didn't make as, as big of a splash as it should have because it's excellent. It's called The Europa Report. And I know the people who consulted on that one. So a lot of the times when movies really want to get the science right, they'll come to us and we'll help them understand physics and aerospace design and um, exoplanets. Like there aren't many more um, educated people in exoplanets than JPL. So we're kind of the source. What's an exoplanet just for people who don't know? Because oh. now you see, you, <laughs> you nerded it up. So <laughs> that's I good. Did. An exoplanet is a planet that's outside our own solar system. So we've got, you know, all of the ones that are local to us and then anything outside of what's called our solar sphere, that's considered an exoplanet. And we didn't even know that there, we had theories, but we weren't 100% 100 certain that they were out there until pff, 10 years ago. And then the first exoplanets were found, and now we're up to, I think, 25 confirmed exoplanets is the number that's on the wall right now at JPL. All right. That's, that's an interesting wall. Does it make you laugh, though, when you watch some science fiction movies or TV shows and they get something so obviously wrong? Or, like, can you put the work aside, quote-unquote, put the work aside and actually just watch it as a nerd? Or, like, do you just see it and you just kind of cringe and you're like, come on, man? Well, I mean... You have to or you can't enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> but there are times when um, it's more like when they get it right, I'm celebrating, I'm cheering. Uh, in the very first scene of the very first episode of The Expanse, they're panning over Ceres, which is an asteroid, a dwarf planet, sorry. And um, 
we have a spacecraft who did a lot of mapping of Ceres, and uh, I recognized it because they got it that right. I was like, wow, that's Ceres. And then they put this little title along the bottom of the screen said Ceres. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> so it's more the opposite, that when they get it right, you get really excited and really jazzed. And when they don't get it right, it's just fun. Okay, that works then. One of the kind of, I guess, challenges, because um, you you're saying like people want to know more about the space and the curiosity and stuff like that. One of the challenges I think NASA sometimes has is that people don't fully understand why we're going to space or why we're doing these kind of things, why we're doing exploring and stuff like that. What inspires you to contribute to a team that is like uh, kind of contributing to mapping the stars and why, like, y like you said, you're trying to save humanity, mankind, but is there more going on than that? Oh, yeah. I mean, on kind of two fronts, there's a lot going on. First of all, the technologies that we invent to explore space come back here to be useful on Earth. The camera in your cell phone came right out of the space program. The uh, GPS that gets you from point A to point B came right out of the space program. So these things come back to our lives, our everyday lives, to help make them better. And then the other thing is that NASA missions aren't just exploring out the bounds of, of perception, right? We're also watching Earth here. We're doing a lot of measuring of the oceans, measuring of salinity as the glaciers melt. Um, we are watching for near-Earth asteroids and protecting Earth from extinction-level events. So it's kind of a short-term benefit as well as a long-term benefit. And who knows? Maybe someday we'll find alien life out there. Yeah, that's, that'd be exciting. Hopefully it's not like something like the Borg, though, or... <laughs> or like Independence Day, like it's more like benevolent kind of aliens just kind of want to chill and like hang out with us. Yeah, I'm keeping my fingers crossed that it's not, you know, some childhood's end situation <laughs> yeah. either where yeah. they kill you slowly. How's NASA kind of adapting to the kind of now, there's a lot more of a private kind of enterprises with SpaceX and these kind of companies. Is the How is NASA kind of like reacting or not reacting to those kind of um, endeavors now? Because there's a lot, m there are a lot more funding and a lot more things kind of going on now than there was, I guess, like even 10, 20 years ago. Yeah, we think it's fantastic. Well, I can't say I'm speaking for NASA. I think it's fantastic. Um, we at JPL especially, and, and NASA fully, um, have a strong relationship with a lot of these private aerospace companies. A lot of the times, some of the parts that fly on our craft are from the private companies, and we often provide technology to them as well as guidance. I know people who've gone out to SpaceX and taught classes there. So it's like so a loop of innovation almost. It really is, and um, it's a wonderful ecosystem, to be honest with you. That's amazing. And then I guess that's also part of th that's being also fueled by the faces now. There's like Neil deGrasse Tyson, who's really active and the public's really embraced him. Bill Nye is another one. Stephen Hawking. Just, I guess, having faces of science like that, especially when in a sometimes in a time in a culture where science is not always valued. So it must be really helpful to have those kind of faces out there and kind of promoting science. Absolutely. The science communicators are like the secret weapon of science. They're amazing. I mean, I grew up watching Carl Sagan. He inspired a whole generation of people who work at NASA now. And he inspired Neil deGrasse Tyson. And it seems like it's almost a fractal pattern, right, where every time you spawn one, it spawns two more. And then those each spawn two more. And I think the more people we can get teaching STEM to kids, to adults, making it accessible to the masses, the better. 
and uh, they definitely help people understand that what we're doing isn't just like crazy math uh, done on space calculators in some weird room somewhere. We're actually answering questions. It's the translation, I think, is where it gets lost because they're able to convey that the science and all the great things that they're doing, NASA and all these people are doing, but conveyed in a way that's really simple, that peop- that's accessible for people to grasp and to understand. I think that's what's sometimes the hardest part. Absolutely. And um, each of the NASA centers has people who are trying to do that every day, and I think they're getting better and better at it. Um, I see these amazing art installations all over the place, and you never even know where they come from because there's so many of them now. And there's also a lot of citizen scientists out there who are chipping in and making beautiful projects with NASA data and making it accessible to, you know, kids in a classroom or the common guy sitting on his couch at home. <laughs> yeah. So you're speaking at FITC as part of, like, since we're talking about this idea of, like, translating science and NASA and all this cool stuff that's happening. You're speaking at FITC. What is your topic going to be and, like, what are some of the themes that you're going to be talking about? Sure. As I said, I'm, I'm, one of my projects is the Deep Space Network. And I'm going to be talking about what it's like to design the software that the operators use to control those antennas. So these are 10 million pound machines, basically, that they are pointing at something out in the stars. Um, in one case, uh, Voyager is outside our solar system. It's so far away. And it's maybe, you know, the size of a car, right? And so they have to point this big giant dish 70 meters at it and try to catch a signal from that far away. And these people are amazing. They're just the unsung heroes of NASA. The first pictures of the moon, they came through these people. We wouldn't have any pictures of space if it wasn't for these guys. It's amazing. The the JPL, they have uh, like some sort of touring facility or like there's like a t- you can arrange a tour or is it like some open doors or so open house kind of per- periods? Yes, all of the above. Every single day we give private tours um, to groups and you can book them by going to the JPL website. Uh, we're open um, Monday through Friday actually is when we're doing the tours. It's not on the weekends. And they book up like three months in advance because they're so popular. And every day while I'm walking around on lab, I'm seeing tour groups come by and I wave at them and I say thanks for coming by because it's just great to see the public interest. And then every year we open our doors for a weekend. Um, This year uh, the event is called Ticket to Explore JPL. And we gave away free tickets to come so that people wouldn't have to wait in line and not know if they'd get in. And 30,000 tickets went in a matter of a couple hours. It's amazing. Yeah, it really is. And is these all kinds of people, like young kids, old people, or like, are you seeing a certain type of demographic or anything like that coming through, or like consistent demographic? or? No, it's like a picture of the American population, right? You just get everything, every age. I had a little tiny kid that was asking me, he was maybe four or five, he could barely speak, right? And he's asking me about rocket dynamics. It was awesome. <laughs> oh man, you got one. That, that kid's well on his way now. I hope so. I guess, too, it's doing kind of what you're saying, too. Like, you kind of came into some of the science because you're a nerd yourself, a geek, right? And so uh, the more kind of those TV shows and that kind of stuff is out there, the more it kind of fuels and sparks that imagination. People want magic and surprise. 
Yeah, I agree. And, you know, the fact that there's a wide range of it, too, is really great. I'm seeing a lot of really cerebral science fiction, like The Arrival or even Europa Report was pretty intelligent. And then I'm also seeing really fun science fiction, like all the Marvel stuff totally counts, right? And it's getting people thinking, ooh, maybe I could build my own Iron Man suit. Yeah, and it's it's similar to magic in the sense that people are like, I think I know how they did that. Like, they're trying to start figuring out the science, right, of how somebody could fly or how somebody could do something, right? Yes, totally. <laughs> so now lately, the emphasis has been a lot more on Mars as well. Is this something that kind of interests you or, like, actually getting to Mars? Because you were talking about, like, getting uh, saving mankind and, like, finding new places to live. Is this Mars thing, like, for real? Is it, like, is this something we should be working towards? Well, again, I'm speaking just for myself. Um, NASA's mission to Mars is really exciting to me. We have eight orbiters and rovers at Mars right now. So we've been exploring it for a long time. I think JPL's had a continuous presence on Mars for like 20 years. It's been a long time. Actually, it might only be 13, but that's quite some time. And it is very interesting because Mars is so similar to Earth in so many ways. And now that we know there was liquid water on Mars and there was once an atmosphere, we can learn a lot about what's going on here at Earth by what has happened to Mars and what Mars's current state is. And there are certain things we can't learn until we get boots on the ground there, right? As well as it's a huge accomplishment to say that, yes, we can travel long distances in space, multiple month trips. I mean, it's a short trip to the moon, but it takes six months to get to Mars. So that's a big deal. That'll be quite the achievement. Would you want to go? I'd go in a heartbeat. Serious, eh? But nobody's inviting me. Okay. <laughs> that's the rub then, I guess. Yeah. You think we'll get to that point where, like, that was kind of like the joke in the, in the 1950s of, like, these moon colony vacations and stuff. And people would just go to the moon for, like, the weekend or something weird like that. You know what I mean? Yeah. Is that the one of the goals, I guess, one of the sub, uh, I guess, kind of uh, goals that NASA and LA is working towards is just kind of having, like, make these kind of trips almost like the same way that y you and I can get on a plane and just go to, like, Spain and then come back. Certainly, Stephen Hawking said that if the um, mankind doesn't spread out beyond the Earth, we have no chance of surviving. And so I think diversifying our homes is a great idea, and it is a very long way off, but it's absolutely a goal. This is really inspiring. I could see why you're like super excited to go to the JPL and kind of like do all this work and just kind of keep hanging out. Does anything surprise you like when you when all the stuff that's coming back from space and stuff? Are you constantly surprised and amazed at like what's out there? Because that's a lot of real estate. Yeah, yeah, it is infinite, isn't it? And it's infinitely surprising. Um, I'm sure there are a lot of people who've been at JPL for 40 years and to them it's it's old hat, right? They're like, ah, it's all boring since that first picture of Mars. But to me. Every time I see a new picture, I'm just blown away by how beautiful our universe is and how varied and how vast. We got to end it there. That was a really nice way to kind of end it. Thank you, Chris, uh, for hanging out and talking about like Mars and NASA and JPL and science fiction. And uh, we didn't really touch on Doctor Who that much. Did you? Are you still watching Doctor Who? Yes, yes, I am. Okay. And Peter Capaldi is rocking it. So I'm really sorry we're losing him. Is he your favorite doctor in the last couple of years? Or like, I'm a Matt Smith man. Ooh, Matt Smith was a good guy. Yeah. But he actually might be my least favorite doctor. Oh, snap. He was good. Yeah. But you know, it's like chocolate, right? Like yeah. even bad chocolate's really good. 
Uh, not that Matt Smith is a bad doctor. My favorite doctor is is probably Christopher Eccleston. Oh, okay. I know that's a shocker, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, do you have any hopes for after? Because yeah, Peter is wrapping up his run. So are you hoping? Uh, do you have any like suggestions or hopes or anything for the new doctor? Or do you just want to just keep rolling and the same thing like as your work? Just let the surprise be the surprise. Oh man, I've been in the Idris Elba camp for so long, but I just don't think it's gonna happen. So I'll take who I can get. As long as there's a Doctor Who on television, life is good. 